You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Yeah, hi everybody and welcome. So great to see you. Welcome to Mosaic Church and Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you. You know, I was out on a walk with uh, one of my children the other day and they said, Dad, I think this year the world needs Christmas more than ever. I said amen to that. I think that's pretty true. So glad you're here with us today. And we're going to get into our time in our scripture reading and our time of God's word. It's going to be, from all places, the book of Job. So you're getting a Christmas sermon on Job today. Congratulations. Um, that's all the, the jokes you're going to get, apparently. Um, anyway, I'm kidding. We'll see what happens. Anyway, uh, we're going to get into our time in our reading here. Uh, it's going to be from Job 42. You can follow along on the screen. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Here and I will speak, I will question you, and you will make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes." After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, my anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you've not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now, therefore, take seven bulls, seven rams, and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. For you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, Zophar the Namathite went and did what the Lord had told him. And the Lord accepted Job's prayer. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money in a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than the beginning. And Job died an old man and full of days. And that's the reading of God's word. All his people said, come on, amen, amen. Yeah. The radical claim of Christmas is that through Jesus of Nazareth, that God came to be not just God out there, but God with us. God with us. And of course, the question immediately becomes, well, why? What, what does that mean? Why did he do that? And that's what we're looking at this month. And today we're going to see something unique about that radical claim, which is that when God came to be God with us, it also means that God came to be God to suffer. God to suffer. Eastern religions claim that suffering is an illusion, not really real. Traditional religions claim that suffering is your fault. You brought it on yourself. The Muslim faith says that God would never suffer. It's beneath him. Only the Christian faith says that God knows what it's like to suffer. And if you're having a hard time grasping why this is relevant or why this is meaningful in the year of our Lord 2020, that means you've been living that Rip Van Winkle life for about the last nine months. So welcome back. Hope you had a nice nap and you're plenty rested. Welcome back, you know. Why is this important? Well, to answer that, to help grasp why this is important, I want to try to take you on a little journey for the next few minutes. A journey through this year, 
2020. A, a journey through the life of someone who suffered named Job. And one part also, a journey into the heart of God for you. Heart of God for you. Who was Job? Let's look at him. We're told this in the opening verse of the book. This is written way before the birth of Christ, part of the Hebrew scriptures. Job 1.1 says, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. He was blameless and upright, feared God and turned away from evil. So we see that not only was Job righteous, we also read later, he was rich. He was a wealthy businessman, had land, cattle, property, a large family. But behind the scenes, something was going on that Job did not know about. Behind the scenes, we are told that God was trying to do something specific through Job's life, which was this. God was trying to answer an accusation against you, against me, against humanity. It's set up by a fascinating conversation we read between God and Satan. God actually asks Satan this. Hey, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in the earth. He's blameless, upright. He fears God and he turns away from evil. So, you know, there's Job's resume. God's like, hey, have you seen my boy? I mean, my boy Job, I mean, he's, he's all of that in a bag of chips. You know, he's a great man and Job loves me. But Satan, of course, is the ultimate cynic. He scoffs and he basically says, love? What's love got to do? Got to do with it. Satan replies this, does Job fear God for no reason? Like, God, you put a hedge around him in his house. All he has on every side. You've blessed the work of his hands. His possessions have increased. Look at this, verse 11. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. So Satan raises the age old accusation that people like you, people like me, people like Job only really love God for what they can get out of it. That we really only love God for what he can do for us when times are good. And if things get bad enough, we'll curse God and abandon our faith. So to deal with Satan's accusation, God allows Job to suffer. He limits it, but he allows it. And so, of course, Job does suffer, though he never knows the reason. He, he loses his cattle. He loses his property, his reputation, his own children died tragically. We read he contracts a terrible disease, likely something called black leprosy. He's forced to keep distance from those around him. Sound familiar? He's plunged into darkness and pain. And that's just the first two chapters. And the rest of the book then is all about Job's journey through the suffering. We, we see his complaints, uh, his pain. He, he curses the day he was born. He says, God, you have never even been there for me a single day of my life. And then on top of it all, Job's miserable comforters come to him. His moralistic friends who basically blame him for his suffering. They say, Job, it is your own fault. You brought your pain on yourself. And of course, of course, they were wrong, weren't they? They were wrong. Because at a base level, we know that part of the reason Job suffered, it wasn't because he was bad. It was because he was good. See, sometimes even the very best people suffer extraordinarily through no fault of their own. And that may have been you this year. Some of you have suffered, though it's been no fault of your own. You've lost loved ones. You've lost your employment. You've lost your reputation. You've suffered in your own body. And it's been through no fault of your own. 
So Job wrestles, Job rattles, Job rages. He suffers and he screams. He makes his case before God. And yet by the end of the book, we see that something has happened to Job. In the end, we read it, 40, chapter 42. Job is somehow actually against all odds greater. He is greater, stronger, better, wealthier, healthier. He's got more children. And when he died, it says he was, he died full of days. That's the word it means like to sit down and eat a meal and be satisfied. This is saying that his life satisfied him. His life didn't embitter him. He died content, not bitter. If you wanted to put something on on his tombstone, gravestone, you could have put it like this. Job began great and ended greater. Job began great and ended greater. He began the book. He began the story riding high. And then he went even higher. How could this be after all he went through? Well, we're going to see the answer to that, I hope, in a moment. But let's just pause and ask right here, what about you? What about me? Hmm? What about us today? Some of us, I think, began this year, like Job, riding high. Pretty great, right? It began with us great. And then 2020 hit. I'll never forget March of this past year. And for all of us, of course, it was enormously disruptive. Things upended overnight. But for people in my position, what I do, it was extraordinarily uh, stark contrast. Uh, One week, literally, to the next. One week I'm here with you, with us, preaching four services. They're building full of life, full of people, energy. The next week, and I'll never forget it, walking up those steps out there pausing before I came in, thinking, what has happened? Sitting here in an empty room, preaching to a camera for months and for a long time. That felt like the best part of what was going on. And for a lot of people, maybe you, 2020 has felt like a bad rerun of Job's life. Loss of income, loss of jobs, loss of family, sickness, distance, spouses like Job's wife at their wit's end in their relationship. It almost it seems like this happened us at the same speed at which it overtook Job like wave upon wave of grief overtook us. But, but on the other hand, maybe that wasn't you. Maybe that wasn't you. Maybe on the other hand, some of you had a really good year. <laughs> Maybe somehow it's been a smooth ride. And, and you know, while you wouldn't say that you don't know what the fuss is all about, you'd still say, you know what? This year was pretty great. You know, I had a great year. And if that's you, I want to let you know, I am happy for you. <laughs> I'm really happy for you. No, for real, I'm super happy. And I hope all the people in your life are as well. Praise God. We rejoice with those who rejoice. But still, where are you today? I mean, like when you look back on 2020, if you, like Job, you started the year out on top and then it turned, how would you say you're ending this year? I want to tell you something today. I'm about to get into it. That I feel today, as far as I can tell, as your pastor, for all of you who would call Mosaic home, something from the heart of God for you and for me, for this church, it's a dream of a church we have called Mosaic. And here it is. I want to preach this to you today. Though we may have started this year great, we can end even greater. Though we have, I got one amen, glory to God. All right, hopefully by the end I may get more. That's all good, all good, all good. I got to preach some faith to you. Though we may have started this year great, we can end even greater. How about you? Though you may have started this year great, you 
can end even greater. You may feel that. You say, Morgan, my best days are behind me. I want to tell you, it's not true. You say, my ship has sailed. I'll never get it back. It's all gone and lost. I want to tell you, it's not true. And I want to show you how today, right now, from the life of Job, how and why you can end this year even greater than how he began. Why was Job, question, why was Job even greater at the end? Three reasons. Let's look at them in turn. Number one, it's because... Well, it's because here's how Job ended greater. It's because Job took it all back. He took it all back. What do I mean? I mean this at the end of the book, after like 30 chapters of Job raging, uh, of spilling his guts, he's finally silent. And when Job's finally silent, God finally speaks. And when God finally speaks, he says something that sort of blows your mind to everyone's surprise. When you read it, God doesn't reveal the why God reveals himself. For example, God reveals his power. If you read the chapters God speaks, he points Job to all the things that he created. And he says, I made that. And I made that. And I made that. And to answer the age old question from the Baha men who asked who let the dogs out. I did. I let the wild donkey go free. Sorry, you can Google that later. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Gen X there. God reveals his omnipresence when he asked Job, Hey, where were you? When I made that, were you there? I was there. God reveals his heart when he shows how he cares for the the stars and the seasons and the skies and creation and all the animals. And when God finishes revealing, not the why, but himself, do you know what Job says next? How Job responds? What he says? Does Job say next, that wasn't enough, God. You know, you're going to have to do better than that, almighty. (laughs) No, Job doesn't do any of that. Job doesn't rant. Job repents. Look at verse five. He says, I had heard of you, God, by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So what's Job doing here? Come on, get the picture. Before he ever breaks through, before he's ever blessed, what does he do? Well, every commentator I could find on this little verse says that when it says he despised himself, it literally means he's saying, I regret myself as in, I regret the things that I've said. I regret regret what I've said. I take back everything I've said about my suffering. God, now that I've seen you, I take it all back. What was he taking back? What was he repenting for? Come on. Well, what had Job said? Here it is. Let's look at a few things. He was repenting of the curse he pronounced over his birth. He was repenting of declaring he wanted to die. Repenting of his complaints against God. Repenting of his despair. Repenting for talking about things, I'll put it like this, beyond his cosmic pay grade. So what about you? What about me this year, huh? Could we possibly do this? Hmm? Could we take back our cursing of this year, if that's been you? Hmm? Can we take back our declaring we don't want to live anymore? We don't want to go on, if that's been you. Could we repent of our despair, if that's been you? Come on, let's acknowledge it. That's what you feel when you suffer. You wonder where God is. You feel all alone. You despair. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying, nor does God ever say that those things were even sins to say because they weren't. Job just acknowledges now that he's seen God face to face that he didn't know everything. He just acknowledged that God was bigger and that God was enough and that God would see him through. 
So he just said, I take it all back. Take it all back. So I want to say to you today, actually something. I want to say this to you. I, I repent. If there's something I've said or something I haven't said this year that didn't reflect the heart of God, mind of God in the way that it should have or could have or supposed to, I want to say, I take it back wronged you, hurt you somehow, caused you to move further away from God somehow in the middle of all we've been through. I take it back. Of course, I didn't mean for that to happen. I love you. I believe in you. I want the best for you. And if you're new here, that goes for you, of course, as well. But I end my year like Job, repenting in dust and ashes for two reasons. Number one, of course, it's because I love you. And number two, here's why. It's because y'all, I don't want to be Job's friends. I don't want to be Job's friends. Here's what I mean. I hear a lot. Maybe you do too. Of Job's friends talking today, right? Uh, Job's friends. A lot of them have microphones. Uh-oh. They've got TV shows or news columns. People who want to tell you why what is happening in the world is happening right now. A lot of people who tell you why people are suffering, why you're suffering. For example, one news channel solely lays the blame for the condition of human suffering in our nation at the feet of Democrats and liberals. Another news channel solely lays the blame for the condition of our nation's suffering solely at the feet of Republicans, conservatives. There are countless Job's friends, aren't there, who come around to people in suffering and they're freely handing out blame, left and right, left and right, blame here, blame there. And I wanna tell you, they are, as Job put it, they are miserable comforters. Miserable comforters. You know what that's like to watch the news nonstop. You're like, I feel worse than when I started. Miserable comforters. They can never give you what Job got, what changed Job's life, which is an encounter with God Almighty. And so do you know what God says about Job's friends? He says this, they have not spoken of me rightly. They didn't leave space for me to be me. They had no idea what I was up to. That's what Job's friends didn't do. I want to tell you, I don't want to be that guy. So Job took it all back. He took back all the cursing, all the despair, and it opened the floodgates for God to move in his life. And so what if, what if that were you? What if that were me? Now I'm not saying, I'm not saying this. I'm not saying not to grieve or mourn or lament or wail. I hope you do. It's good. It's good. I'm just pointing to the place where I think that true lament takes us to a point, like we heard a couple of weeks ago from Dr. Green, if you were here, just like Esther in her palace, like Christ in the garden, where we say, God, not my will, but yours be done. Whatever it is you're wanting to do in my life. I receive it. I receive it. I receive it. That's what Job did. Number one, Job took it all back. Number two, though, at the same time, he also, I love this, Job let it all go. Now, you may be saying, Morgan, all right, all right, all right. So far, you've been talking about my circumstances. What about, what about the relational toll I've been through this year? You know, with all of your people, God, <laughs> what do I do with that? Well, in this year, maybe this has been true for you. We know this, there've been countless relationships lost over all kinds of fighting for all kinds of reasons. But uh, one of the most obvious ones is just because again, we've been fighting over stuff. I mean, think about it. Remember my God, for a while, we were fighting over mailboxes in this country. It's where we were. Now, I'm not saying you are never gonna lose a friend over saying or doing what is right. 
And I know, because I know I have. And I'm not saying you're never gonna have to choose, uh, you know, doing what you believe in over people who insist the opposite. I know I've done that. I have lost countless, many close friends for doing what I believe is right and just for trying to serve God. I mean, thank God for principled opposition to evil and wrongdoing. So please march, please protest, please make a stand uh, against evil for good and don't quit. But what about the toll, the emotional, relational toll that takes on you? What do you do with all of that? Look at verse nine. It says, so Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, Zophar the Namathite went and did what the Lord had told him. And the Lord accepted Job's prayer. So what's this? Maybe you remember it from the reading. Job's friends, they, they, they show up one day, they come to him, they knock on that door and they say, Job, <laughs> we're here. We were wrong and we're sorry. We apologized. Well, you say, Morgan, I would love to get that. Can you arrange that, please? Because that would be amazing, actually. If I could get that from all those people who said that thing about me or them on social media, if they said what they said was wrong, I forgive them too. And if man, that person who did that to me would come and acknowledge it was wrong, well, I could forgive him too. But no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Not necessarily. You know, when other people repent to you, yeah, it makes it easier to forgive, doesn't it? But just because people apologize doesn't mean you always forgive. You know this. Just because someone apologizes doesn't mean you're actually going to let it go. After all, Job, he didn't have to let it go, did he? He didn't have to. He still had to make a choice. So do you. So do I. Because while other people's repentance, oh, it's helpful, it's still no guarantee you're gonna forgive. And let's just be real, there's no guarantee you're gonna get repentance from anybody in the first place. And so what are you gonna do if you don't get it? Hang on to the bitterness? Hang on to the hurt for the rest of your life? Now listen, listen. again, please don't hear me saying anything about what you've been through, what you're going through. I'm sure if I were in your position, I'd be feeling like you're feeling right now. All I'm asking is, what if, what if, like with Job, forgiveness and your breakthrough are connected? About a year after I became a Christian, in my sophomore year of college, it was like two or three years ago, I was stuck in some key, stuck in some key relationships. I was really bitter at a couple of my friends, really wrestling with God about letting go of some bitterness towards one of my friends in our campus group there and towards our campus pastor of all people. And the reason I was so bitter at those two dudes, and when I'm done, you're probably gonna laugh and ask like, Morgan, is that really it? You got worked up about that? But anyway, uh, here's was, is because while I was gone over the Christmas break, they decided to bring in two new guys to live with us into our two bedroom, one bathroom apartment. There were three of us, now they added two more. And whereas before I had had a room to myself, they moved all my stuff over the break without asking me into the other room, put me now in the, in the new room with the two new guys, I barely knew, and started charging me more to live there to cover the other guy's cost. I was trying to get over it, couldn't let it go. The offense, the expense, how I was being treated were just weighing me down. I'll never forget. One night, trying to let it go, I was riding my bicycle at home, at, uh, back home to my uh, apartment in the dark, begging God to help me forgive because anger and bitterness were eating me up. Couldn't believe I'd been treated the way I was and I'll never forget the Holy Spirit came to me. It seemed so random, seemed so out of the blue and asked me this question verbatim from Isaiah chapter six. Asked me this question, who will go for us, who will go for us. God was asking, 
Who's going to go for me? And in a moment, I understood God was speaking to me on two levels. The first was about forgiveness. Who will go for me into the heart of forgiveness, into the heart of this relationship? Who will go into the space they're not willing to get involved in? And the tears spilled out. I just replied with Isaiah's words, pedaling my bicycle. Here I am, Lord. Send me. It's powerful. And the forgiveness came. Forgiveness flooded. My heart opened up. And in that same moment, immediately next, God called me and asked me to go into vocational ministry. That was the night God called me into doing what I'm doing right now. Right there. On a bicycle. In the dark. On a college campus. Begging to his friends. Then God restored his fortunes. And he became greater, didn't he? He became greater. He got it all back. He prayed for his friends. Then God restored his fortunes. He got it all back. He got his wealth back. He got his health back, his reputation. He got more children, twice as much as says. Job got it all. He got everything he ever wanted, except, except for one thing, one thing. There's one thing that Job never got. You know what it was? You know what it is? What Job never got? Number, it's number three. It's what really made Job great. In the end, Job never got an answer. And if you're mad about that while you read it, by the way, because uh, I am too, join the club. I want you to see here the brilliant, here's the word, wisdom. The Bible's trying to teach you here, which is that God can't give Job that. He can't give him an answer, not an answer. Satan's accusation. Still defeat it. You say, what do you mean? Remember, remember, Satan said, God, God, the reason Job serves you is because you've given him reasons. Take away his reasons watch what happens. Now, 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 if God would have come to Job here at the end and said, come here, come here, boy. Come here, son. Let me in, let you uh, in on a little secret right here. Uh, while you're going through it, I'm, God's got a Southern accent apparently today. I'm, I'm going to make you so great. So large, son. You know, it's your grandma and your grandpa. Your life's so meaningful that one day it's going to be written down. And it's going to impact a billion people. It's going to change the world more than you could possibly know. I mean, Job, Job, there are going to be some people in that mosaic church in Austin, my favorite spot in Texas, by the way, and that's saying a lot, you know, uh, they're going to hear about you now, now, now. If God would have done that, what would he, what would he have been giving him? Come on. A reason to hang in there. Job, Job could have thought, well, okay, I've got a reason now. I'll hang in there. I'll hang in there, you know, to help people one day. Well, I'll hang in there uh, to defeat Satan. Never liked him anyway, you know. Uh, God, uh, I'll hang in there to get my book deal one day. God, I've got a good name for that book. It's coming to me now, you know. <laughs> See, if, if, he, if God had done that, Satan's accusation would have stood and all of Job's suffering would have been for nothing. So why is Job so great? You know, it's because he never got an answer. And the fact that God never gave him one actually make Job, makes Job greater. We can honor him more now because uh, he, he deserves it. Because at the end of the book, God never comes and tells him why. This commentary by Francis Anderson, it's a great commentary on Job. It says this, quote, it is one of the many excellences of the books, the book, that Job is brought to contentment without ever knowing all the facts of his case. The test would work only if Job did not know what it was for. God thrust Job into an experience of dereliction to make it possible for Job to enter into a life of naked faith, to learn to love God for himself alone. God does not seem to give this privilege to many people, for they pay a terrible price of suffering for their discoveries. 
But part of the discovery is to see the suffering itself as one of God's most precious gifts. To withhold the full story from Job, even after the test was over, keeps him walking by faith, not by sight. He does not say in the end, now I see it all. He never sees it all. He sees God. You say, all right, (laughs) I'd like to see that somehow too. I'd like to see God somehow, Morgan, today in my suffering. All right, I believe you can. Here's how. Remember that part about uh, God forgiving Job's friends, right? It says God forgave Job's friends when Job did what? It says when Job, uh, when, he, when he accepted Job's prayer, maybe your translation says that, he accepted Job's sacrifice or something Job did. That's not actually though what it says. It simply says in the Hebrew, three words, God accepted Job. Whew. It's saying God accepted other people because of, through one man. One man's righteousness covered the unrighteousness of others. What does this mean? Oh, it means we will never understand this or fully understand the whole book unless we do with it what we've got to do with every book in the Bible, in the light of the New Testament scriptures, in the coming of Jesus, who said every story in there was really about him. We've got to take it and look at it in that light. You say, What's that? Goes like this. God could forgive those men who betrayed and abused his child because of the intercession of one righteous sufferer, Job, who points us to a greater sufferer, a far more innocent child of God, which is Jesus. See, Job was relatively righteous, right? He felt like God was abandoning him, but it wasn't true. But Jesus was absolutely innocent and God did abandon him on the cross. He cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? As Jesus' own life and his own suffering became now the sacrifice that God accepts so that we can be forgiven and reconciled back to him. See, Jesus truly answered Satan's old accusation. Why? Because Jesus served God, not for nothing, for worse than nothing. He got death and cosmic abandonment for doing it. He was the only truly innocent sufferer person and he suffered infinitely. And now here, finally, you're saying, thank God. Here we can see why Job, in a way, points us to Christmas, points us to our need for an Emmanuel. Why? It's to show us, Job's, that when we suffer, we can know three things. Number one, we can know that God knows what it's like. He's taking his own medicine in a way. Number two, we can know that we're not alone in it. And number three, when we don't know why and we can't understand why, we can know it can't be because God doesn't love us. There's no punishment left, right? It's all been poured out on Jesus because the lie is, the lie is when we suffer, the lie is God doesn't love us. But I want to tell you today, look at the manger. Come on, look at the cross, church. Look at the empty tomb. He does love you. He knows what it's like. He's with us. He gave everything for us. He can't love us more than he already has. And for his suffering, like Job, except infinitely more, Jesus has become greater. He's been given the name that's above every name. And that's why in the light, not just of Job church, but Jesus, I want to close with this. This is why I don't believe your best days are behind you. This is why I don't believe our best days are behind us because this church 
in a similar way, but smaller. This church, against all odds, has grown this year, and not just in numbers, oh, but in depth, because I've seen what some of you have become. I've seen you turn to gold in your suffering because some of you have stood up in the middle of your trial when you weren't getting an answer, because you have prayed for me, because you prayed for others, because you've taken back perhaps your despair, or you've let go of your frustration, and because some of you have given, because you've sacrificed. I mean, my God, look what this church has done in a pandemic this year. We've raised almost $100,000 to give away between our Live Big Sunday and all of our COVID care. And that's on top of everything else that you've given. You know, you know when people have come to me and they say, Morgan, how's your church doing? How are the people doing? And I said, well, listen, if Jesus said that our treasure is where our heart is, I think we're in a pretty good place is why I know that our heart is in a good place because of your generosity, because of how you've given. And we're in even a better place now than when the year started. And I believe our best days are ahead because you have grown. You've gone deeper into your family. You've gone deeper into your faith. You've loved God more and you've loved this church, many of you, even when it felt like you weren't getting a lot for it. I don't know. I don't know what 2021 holds. But I do know what 2020 is done by the grace of God, by the grace of our Emmanuel, it's made us that much greater. And I hope you can say amen to that. Let me take some moments here. We're going to, I'm going to pray for you. Ask our Emmanuel to be with us here in these next moments. Lord, we come to you. We're asking you to meet us here right in the middle of wherever we are, because that's what you've always done. You work with messy people, messy situations. Show your God a grace, not our own performance. Lord, I'm praying here for some of us now, maybe who need to take it all back. Cursed this year. Cursed the darkness. Despaired. Didn't want to go on. Lord, I pray we would even, in light of just who you are, God Almighty, we'd be able to say that. God, I, I take it back. Maybe some of you just need to say that. I take it back. And then say this, God, I receive your will for me. What if we could just say that now on home, at home, online, here in the room, God, I receive. I receive. Receive it. Just receive it. What you have for me through it all. Your plan. I receive it. Maybe some of you need to let, let it go. Difficulty, relational frustration. Just say, now, nah, Lord, I let him go. Let him go. Just let him go. Let him go. So pray for my friends. Pray for them. Pray for them. Let him go. And Lord, for all of us, maybe never get an answer. You've given us something better, which is a person of love and grace triumphs over it all. It's become greater. Jesus, you're our Emmanuel. You're our God with us. We thank you. Thank you. We thank you. We thank you. I thank you. I thank you for 2020. I thank you for what lies ahead in 2021. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.